The follow-up is simple. Ask a question, listen to the answer, then follow up. I'm your host, Noah Kozlov. Enjoy. The follow-up today is with my mother-in-law, Leslie Frankel, who in August of 1982 became the first female OBGYN at Abington Hospital outside Philadelphia, where I was born, where my wife Marissa was born. So, Leslie, thinking back to that time, were there certain anxiety, nerves that you were feeling being the first female entering the hospital in that role? Um, initially, no, because when I was a resident, um, my class was made up of four women and two men. So I didn't really think much of it. Um, but when I got here, it was pretty interesting. Uh, it was a little bit hard to break into the old boys club. Um, and I always felt like I had to prove myself for the first couple of years. After my first year, another group hired another woman. So I had some company. Um, in my first year here, uh, there was no locker room for female physicians. So I had to share the male locker room, which was interesting. <laughs> um, and the call rooms had multiple beds in them. So oftentimes I would have to share a call room with a male physician. Um, that, that did change after a while, but it, it was, um, it was tough. I, I really had to prove myself in those days. Yeah, what, what was it like delivering? I mean, you you delivered babies before. But what was it like delivering babies as a as a professional right right after having your first one? Oh, it was great. It was great. I really, well, I loved delivering babies. Uh, that was really uh, one of my very favorite things about this. And it was even more fun because I could identify with the patients. I could help them with certain things. I could help them with breastfeeding. I could tell them how to take care of their episiotomies. I could tell them what felt, what was normal and what was not normal, you know, if they would call to ask questions. So it, it was really wonderful. It was, it was great. Did you ever feel like the male colleagues, because you had this, this connection with the mothers that they were jealous of that connection or that the, that the, that the patients felt closer to you? Not my male colleagues. Um, some of the other male OBGYNs in the department um, uh, were, were tough to get along with. Um, they, they gave me a hard time. You know, they were always kind of looking to undermine me, the other people, not, not my partners. I had three male partners who were absolutely wonderful. But um, the other men in the department, there were probably another 20 men in the department. Um, and they were always looking to uh, prove me wrong. How, how did you handle it? Um, I just sort of ignored them. Uh, I went about my business. Um, I talked to my partners, you know, who were always very, very supportive of me. Um, and actually had a wonderful department chair at that time also who was very supportive of me. So um, it, probably by halfway through the first year, uh, suddenly they all were interested in hiring women because I took a lot of their patients away. And in those days, even though there were a number of women in the residency programs in our area, there was one female gynecologist in Elkins Park who practiced at Rolling Hill Hospital, I believe. Uh, and there was one in Doylestown who practiced at Doylestown Hospital 
and no one in between. <laughs> so, um, you know, when people, and when I started, the local paper um, came and did an article on me. And I was on the front page of, I think, the second section. There was a big picture of me <laughs> holding Marissa. And I think when, when people saw that and they needed to bring, say, their younger daughters in or you know, for a problem or they just weren't happy with their male physicians, they all came over to me. And I had a very, very large practice in no time. Did you, did you feel like you were blazing a new trail? I did. I definitely felt like I was blazing a new trail. And, you know, today, most of our department is female and there's just a few men. Um, but that's, that's the profession in general. Uh, but in, in those days, I guess, I, I never thought about it as a resident, but really women were in the minority and uh, it, it was it was tough to break through. So you you would have residents come through, you know, over the years. Did you did yes. you feel a, an extra sense of responsibility to those to the young women who were um, oh, were in the field? Absolutely, absolutely. We had we had a number of women residents here at that time, coming starting to come through at that time. And actually, my my chairman at that time saw saw kind of what was going on, and so he asked me to basically mentor them. So once a month, huh. I would take them out to lunch and we'd discuss any issues they were having, any difficulties they, they might be having, um, you know, getting through residency, um, responsibilities that they had at home that might impact on the residency and how people were treating them. Um, and then we followed up on it. Did things soften at all because Art was also at, in the hospital working there too? And that did any of them know know him or think like, well, look, her husband is is right here. We can't, you know, we can't keep giving her a hard time. Or is this all on you? Oh, they all knew him. Absolutely, they all knew him. Um, and I imagine that you know that helped. I think um, there were still some not nice things said to me, but I think all in all, I think they probably were more respectful because he was around, and they knew him, and they knew. He was staying on staff. Did, does any, anything that anyone said or, or did to you over the years has has stuck with you all these years later? Um, just one thing. When I was actually a resident and we rotated here, and there was a quote-unquote old boy physician who um, was kind of a bigoted, racist kind of guy, and um, I was working with him one day in the operating room and he asked me what I was doing the following year. And I did know, but I wasn't allowed to say quite yet because I hadn't, all my contract issues hadn't been taken care of yet. Um, and he, I said, well, I'm not quite sure. And he looked me in the eye and said, we'd never have anybody like you here. And that's the one thing that stuck with me all these years. Did you see him after that? Oh yeah. Yeah, he um, he probably retired maybe 10, 15 years ago, and he's deceased now. But I'm not the only one that he said things like that to. So, um, but I was glad I proved him wrong, and I was glad that I was successful. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so, so you never, you never wanted to push Marissa towards medicine. 
No, I wanted, you know, both Marissa and Robbie to do what they wanted to do. I, um, if they were interested in medicine, that was great. But if they weren't, I was always a fan of doing what they what they were interested in. When did when did you realize that that Marissa wasn't going to go towards medicine? Oh, probably when she was in tenth grade. <laughs> oh, oh, really? That long? I, I thought I thought for sure you were going to say like third grade or something. <laughs> She never liked the sight of blood. <laughs> oh well, then, yeah, that's uh, that's a prereq. And what about when 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 you had a feeling that Robbie was going to go towards medicine? Uh, that was from when he was very young. I, I he you know he always liked the fact that um, when he was playing sports, that if there was a sports uh, a child injured on his team, that Arthur would go running out, you know, to help and make sure he was okay and. I think he okay. always wanted to emulate that. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and and you and you see the the human side of that right away. And it's something I've asked Robbie about before about about bedside manner, like how mm-hmm. you because I think it's I think it's so important in medicine, but but it's not anything that is taught. Is there are there uh, not in medical school, but is there any way for a doctor to to learn bedside manner outside of just being on the job? Well, you do learn bedside manner when you're in school and when you're a resident and you um, make rounds with the attending physicians and you see how they speak to their patients and you see how they answer the patient's questions and you see how much attention they pay or how little attention they pay and you kind of decide how you want to proceed from there. Um, And you can also tell when a patient's questions haven't been answered and they've kind of been dismissed. And you see what you see how the patient feels when that happens. So, so you develop you develop a, a way to try to answer all of those questions. And for example, when I finish with an exam, my my last statement is, "Do you have any more questions?" And if they do, that's great. I answer them. And if they don't, then I'm done. But they often save they often save the worst questions for last. You know, they're, they're most fearful questions. It's like having a child and they save everything that they want to talk about it right before bed. Right. Like when you don't have any time left. Right. <laughs> yeah. When did, at what point did Robbie and Marissa start asking you, I mean, because the, you know, the, the fear of every parent is, you know, when, when, when does a kid start asking, where do babies come from? <laughs> and since this was, since this was your job, how did you have that conversation with them and when? Uh, interestingly, they always asked when I was in the car, when we were in the car, when I was driving them somewhere, they never, <laughs> where I was trapped, <laughs> but also where I couldn't look them in the eye because they were in the back seat. Um, so that's that's usually where they asked, but I always told them the truth in simple terms, um, and no more than they asked for. Which is, you know, if you I think if you start going into a long explanation when they're three years old, they're not going to understand, you know, and you just mm-hmm. have to answer the question in simple terms. Uh, so I'll close with this then. So where where is the we started at the beginning with you? Where is the profession headed in in today's age? Uh, well, I think the profession is headed um, into a couple different directions. Um, now, there is 
what's called the laborist model, where um, the private groups will take care of their own patients in the office, but when the patients come in in labor, um, basically a person who only works in the delivery room will deliver them, and it's a person usually unknown to the patient. Um, so that's a big change for us. Um, I think also there will be a um, division between obstetrics and gynecology. Now, you know, everybody does everything. Um, but there's less and less sur <coughs> surgery these days. And the doctors who really do more obstetrics and not a lot of gynecology lose their surgical skills. And so I think that well, ultimately there'll be a division and you'll decide after maybe two years of residency, do you want to do only obstetrics or only gynecology? And I think that, that'll probably come into being in the next probably 10, 12 years. That would be my guess. What percentage of your patients now did you deliver their children also? Um, a lot of them. I, mean, I don't have a good percentage, but, you know, I, as, I, as my patients age, and many of them are obviously the same age as I am, and some older, there's a, there's an awful lot of patients whose children I've delivered. And had I kept doing obstetrics, I think I probably would have delivered their grandchildren as well. That's wild. Mm -hmm. Which is why I went into the specialty actually, because it's continuity of care. It's, and it's very nice when you see, you know, the grandmother and the mother and then the child. And I do see the children as patients now that not the ones I've delivered necessarily, but some of the younger ones. Um, and it's, it's just a nice continuity of care. Well, I appreciate the time. Thanks, Leslie. Been my pleasure. Having an OBGYN as a mother certainly helped Marissa during pregnancy. Any and all questions, pushing lessons. I was at work that afternoon, and I'm pretty sure that Marissa's chart at her doctor had it noted who Leslie was. The 80s don't sound that long ago, but... When you hear that she was a trailblazer starting in 1982, it really was another era. I know that now I just assume a gynecologist is a woman. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please subscribe and go back to listen to others. These are all short, thoughtful conversations with people from my life. Actors, athletes, moms, dads, teachers, writers. There's something for everyone, so give it a shot. Search the follow-up on Apple Podcasts and find the logo or go to vocalnow.com, V-O-K-A-L-Now.com. Also, please click the five stars and leave a short review. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Follow-Up. The Follow-Up is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-Now.com. Vocal.